So, Brian, uh, Brian Knight, thank you uh, for joining us on the journey. And uh, let me uh, just share a little bit about what the journey is about. And um, the journey is just having ordinary people come on and have conversation about uh, their life. And maybe in their life they had um, either some obstacles, they had certain setbacks in their life, and then um, and what did they do with those setbacks? How did they maybe uh, fail forward? Maybe how did they how did they learn from those obstacles? How did they take those uh, obstacles and turn them into opportunities? So uh, so it's really just having a conversation about uh, you know your some of your observations, some of your life experiences, and then uh, maybe we can uh, share some hope for some other individuals out there maybe listening. So uh, so welcome to the welcome to the journey. Thank so, you. Uh, Thanks for having me. So maybe just start off telling us a little bit about. Um, who you are and and what you do now and then but maybe start off with like what do you do for fun like if you're gonna have some fun what are you gonna do yeah if i'm gonna have some fun i am gonna get outdoors and just explore like that's what i want to do i I love being outside i love being in nature i love history um it's it's a big part of of what i like to do what i don't like to do is stay at home if i'm at home i have to be doing something it's a very difficult time just sitting still and and when i'm sitting still i'm in my head and i don't like that like i like being out i like being active it gives me a great peace of mind that way okay so um around here i know you know you'll get into it in a little bit that you're 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 from northern wisconsin or central wisconsin more the eastern side but around here where are some of the things that you've explored and that you've kind of found uh maybe off the beaten path in the rockford area yeah in the rockford i like to go to different forest preserves Um, it's just kind of it's the best to nature i can get cornfields are kind of where i grew up so it's uh that doesn't do it for me as much but i like being out in the forest i like taking my kids out for walks and um golfing i picked up this year for the first time and um that's kind of outdoors ish and we'll go up to the dells and we'll go out to like dubuque iowa which is cool i got a few other places i still haven't been to starved rock i haven't been to galena but those are on my list i've been out to woodstock okay so everyone told me i need to go out to woodstock because that's uh there's a film out there, yeah, right? Yep, yep, yep. Groundhog's Day Groundhog or something. Day, yes, yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, so I went out there, but yeah, different. I really like the like the the small little communities like okay. that that kind of put on shows. Um, yeah. I live closer to Rockton, so okay. Rockton's a really cute little town to me. All sure. the antique shops. So yeah. we'll get the family involved. I know. I know my other half really appreciates that, so sure, we'll sure. do things like that as well. Gotcha. So, uh, so yeah. So, tell us a little bit. You, you, you mentioned earlier to me that you grew up in north of Milwaukee. So, tell yep. us a little bit about uh, what that was like and um, what was growing up like. Yeah. So, I grew up in a little town called Random Lake, about okay. an hour north of Milwaukee. Um, for me personally, it was such a small, tiny town. It was about a thousand people. Um, I think I grew, graduated with like 60 to 80 kids somewhere in there. Um, so real, real small and intimate, but for me, I need people like, mm-hmm. and I need a lot of people. And okay. for whatever reason I knew growing up there that like, that wasn't for me. I also have a family history of alcoholism. Okay. So my mom was at the bars constantly. People in town knew it. I remember like I got picked on a lot growing up for that. Um, just that community it was a small community so I actually moved to San Diego about six months after college like I I got out of there but growing up in that community it's 
it had a lot of qualities that I wanted, but never really received as an individual. And that like the small town community, you know, the hard work, the everyone's there for each other. Mm-hmm. A lot of qualities that I really desired, but never really felt I, I got growing up in my family. Okay, but. gotcha. And and so obviously that's one of the downsides of a small town, right? Small, yeah. You know, I mean, you know, the upside is everyone knows you. The downside is everyone knows you. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so, um, so that's one of the difficulty things. Were Were you involved with uh, besides just academic stuff? Were you involved with extracurricular activities, uh, sports, or anything like that? Yeah. I, I mean, I played pretty much anything. That's. Okay. I, I mean, in high school, I played soccer, basketball, ran track, and uh, baseball. Those were my four sports in okay. high school but okay. I love sports sports were okay. that was the one thing I could do growing up that really allowed me to be who I wanted to be I guess okay the downside to that is I have a lot of perfectionist complexes where it was very difficult to enjoy sports okay. sometimes but yeah well yeah explain that a little bit because we talk a lot about uh the idea of how sports um can help develop resiliency yeah. and help transform us. But then there's also, there's a lot of energy around the outcome when it comes to sports. And, and obviously right. that's kind of what you're right. alluding to is. Yeah. I, I think, I mean, obviously when you started off as a, as a little kid playing sports, it's fun, right? Yeah. Like, and that's what it's supposed to be. And for a lot of people that that seems to be the case, like they can play and they can have fun. Me personally. And, and, Mind you, I'm telling you this because I've done years of work on it and I understand Mm -hmm. it, but I think somewhere along the line, I was molded into believing that my self-worth had a lot to do with the outcome of a game, Mm -hmm. right? And and a part of that was coaches, you know, coaches who – you only only the best players played. I I was pretty athletic. I played. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that wasn't a problem, but – the best players played, you know, seeing some of my friends on the bench, never getting to play and not understand, seeing them quit and walk away from sports. Another part of it was my father placed great expectations on me and it never seemed like I was good enough. Like I could have a great game. And I remember being super excited and telling him about it. If he wasn't there in attendance only to be like, well, you guys could have did this, right? Mm-hmm. Like there was always that other shoe and waiting for that to fall. So great expectations that I felt like I could never live up to. So for me, I associate, like I said, sports with just if I'm not doing it to the best of my ability and I'm not better than you, it's not fun. Mm-hmm. So that I walked away from sports for a while because of that. Sure, sure. And I can um, I can definitely understand that. I, yeah. I think there was a time period in my life where – uh, where sports was the vehicle, um, in my story was to go from being invisible to visible, yeah. uh, to being recognized. Yeah. And then somewhere along the line that turned into, um, my identity was wrapped up yeah. in how I performed and, right. and, and being an athlete, being competitive mm-hmm. athlete altogether. And so, um, it, yeah, I, I can't say that it wasn't fun, but it definitely took away from right. just the sheer joy of of playing yeah. wasn't there because it was about improving. It was about getting better. It was about um, doing everything you could to win. Yeah, and I can relate to that. I can relate to that. And and with that, too, it's – you. sports should be teaching us, yeah. right? They should be teaching us about – 
just life in general. Right. Right. And and winning is not everything in life. Like sometimes you lose, which is a which is great. You talk about the journey, right? This mm-hmm. is what we're doing. Losing teaches you a lot in life. And you 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 talk you hear athletes right professional athletes say well what makes you better like I work hard I'm in every day like I'm constantly working to be better for me when I lose I just get angry Mm -hmm. I get mad Mm -hmm. I I explode like I didn't learn how to take losing as a positive Mm -hmm. never I was never able to develop that skill Mm -hmm. well and and I think that is when you already have some of that tendency anyways, right? right? And then you have people that you value their feedback and value their opinion, yeah. and they are, and maybe they just don't know any better, right? right. Maybe, maybe they just don't know what they're actually doing. Yeah. But what the, what the translation of the message is, I'm just not good enough, right? right. And, and so, right. Um, because I, I do think, you know, some parents intentionally are malicious about always wanting, sure. the, you know, their kids to feel less than. Yeah. But I think a lot of times parents and coaches and, and just people that are, you know, in the, of, of influence, it's more of ignorance. Yeah. You know, instead of talking about how things went well and what did you, you know, what did you get out of that, it's, it's more about asking them, what do you mean you get a 98 out of 100? Uh, yeah. What happened to the other two? Now, maybe they were joking, but yeah. for some of us, we'll take that very you know, yeah. internalized. Now, right. if someone asks me, what can I learn so about those two that I got wrong, that's a different thing than implying that it wasn't good enough getting a 98 percent yeah you know and yeah. um so uh so you, you were involved with sports you went where'd you go to college i went to lakeland college for one semester okay and i i bolted okay. after that okay so okay and that's when you went to san diego yeah that i mean around that time i i mean i started using drinking and I was probably 12 years old when I started drinking. Okay. And when I got to college, like school was never something I really put a lot of focus on to mm-hmm. begin with. Mm-hmm. I went to college to play soccer. I played my freshman year. Halfway through the semester, partying was more fun. Mm. Um, around that same time, I started hooking back up with my mom, who I lost contact with for a couple years, who is also an addict. Um, and... I got involved with cocaine crack at that time and just like something about, I knew that I need to leave, right? Like that wasn't the lifestyle I knew I wanted to live. So I, I bolted and moved to San Diego um, about six months after that. So I was 19, one year removed from high school and I I moved. Okay. And and why San Diego? Did you know people out in San Diego? What was it? I had had grandparents out there. So, and I just, you know, I always, thought it'd be cool to go live the California lifestyle. <laughs> sure. So, okay. Yeah. So I, I just thought that was the place I wanted to go. Okay. So how long were you out in San Diego? Um, so in San Diego, I was out there for probably about two years. Okay. And then while in San Diego, I, I was out there for about a year, just working, trying to figure out my life. And then that fall came around and I was like, okay, I'm part of the agreement to live with my parents or grandparents was to go back to school. Mm. So I applied at a community college. Well, as soon as I got into community college, the first thing I did was I met a girl. Uh-huh. So as soon as I met that girl, you know, we did, we did a semester, same thing. I, I kind of attended classes, mostly didn't go. Um, school just 
I'm, I did not apply myself in school as like I should have. And so I met this girl, she had been from Seattle and she's like, Hey, you know, you're not really going anywhere in your life. Like mm-hmm. my dad builds houses up in Seattle. Do you want to go? Do you want to, do you want to work for him? And I was like, you know what? That's a great opportunity. Mm-hmm. Like, absolutely. So two months after living in San Diego, I bolted up the coast and moved to Seattle. Okay. So, so you were in San Diego for two years, then you move up to Seattle, moved up to Seattle. <laughs> and, and were you still with that girl? Or were you just working for working for her dad? So I was with that girl. Um, I worked for her dad. We were together probably two, three years after okay. I moved up. But it was a super unhealthy relationship, mm-hmm. um, which that poor girl, she put a lot of energy into trying to make me a better person. And I just was not – I didn't see it. I, I mean, going back to early childhood, I, I got a lot, of, a lot of issues stemming from – my mom was an addict and, you know, she kind of abandoned us at, at the time I was about 12. My father, he, uh, looking at it now, like the guy was working his butt off trying to support four kids. He was a roofer. So he was gone from sun up to sundown. And, um, I didn't see him a lot, but from, from that, I, I got a lot of perfectionist complex and, you know, my dad was never good enough for my dad. And a lot of self-worth came from that aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, but so a lot of this started coming out on this relationship, mm-hmm. right? Like when you're, yeah. when you're at that stage in your life and you don't, you don't know anything, you're not doing therapy. It's just my way of coping was to make her feel awful, to make myself feel better. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know where for some reason, like something clicked with me and I was like, I need to leave. And, and during that time, a lot of drinking, a lot of, a lot of partying and a lot of unhealthy things that come with that. Okay. So mom and dad were together up until you were 12 you were in the lineup are you i'm second oldest second oldest okay and so so you're one of the older ones Mm -hmm. and um and so uh some of those seeds were already being planted right regarding that not being good enough um mom was distracted because of her because of her own uh things that she was dealing with the alcoholism and, and everything like that and then of and then and then she leaves right right um and you're right i think a lot of times if we um if we don't address those things yeah. you know head on they come out sideways um usually with the people that um we don't want them to right um, in these relationships and then right. and then unfortunately um it doesn't look like it did when we were growing up but maybe the feelings of not being good enough, the feelings of not being able to get it right yeah. or, or, or vulnerability or, or whatever it may have been, um, thing just brings up frustration and then it comes out sideways. Yeah. So, uh, so you're in Seattle for a couple more years and, yeah. uh, then you leave, you end up leaving Seattle. Well, the greatest thing in my life happened. I ended okay. up getting a job as a flight attendant. So at that okay. time, I thought it was amazing because I got to be a 20, 23, 24-year-old male working as a flight attendant. I got to go experience all over the country. I okay. get to party. Like, okay. it was very conducive to my what I wanted to do, and that was just have fun and party. Okay. Um, that didn't... It didn't last very long because <laughs> you can't really do that in a career setting. And um, again, still never addressed any of these these complexes and got in another relationship with another girl. And the same tendency started to happen. When I drink, when I drink, I can't control my emotions. And that's a big thing. Um, 
a lot of jealousy, a lot of rage, a lot of just awful emotions that sure. I sh I have no business putting alcohol in my body. Mm -hmm. um, one night while on a trip with with this girl, we we were out. We were in Atlanta on on a on a layover, and you know we went out. We went drinking and. I just lost it. I got way too belligerent and I got to the point where I just, I was done. I was like, I'm, I'm going to kill myself. I vocalized it to her and it just, it was a very, it was a, it was an awful night for her. Like I put that girl in a, a really bad position and I was very close to, to dying. Mm -hmm. Um, after that I woke up and I finally vocalized it to an aunt who I, you know, I trust more than anything in my family. And we, we talked about it and we thought rehab was okay. where I needed to go. Okay. So, okay. So you were 23, 24. That time I was, I would have been 20, 25, I think when I finally went August of 2014 okay. was when I went to rehab for the first time. Okay. Yeah. And where'd you do rehab at that time? So I went to rehab out in Utah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so, so went went, uh, and that was a residential residential program. Okay. I did about fifty days, probably. Okay. Um, mind you, when I went there, it was because I was going there because I was depressed, sure. and I have a lot of pr depression issues, mm -hmm. and that's what I wanted to focus on. Mm -hmm. I and when I got there. I was quickly made aware that that's not what I was there for. I was there because I was drinking too much. So okay. I was shut off instantly. And I didn't really work on anything that entire time I was there. All mm -hmm. I was trying to do was save this relationship, figure out what's going on in my head, kind of use it as a sounding board to let my no let my family know, like, this is you and your fault and you mm -hmm. guys did all this, mm -hmm. um, rather than understanding why I was actually there. Okay. So I, I left rehab. I decided that at that time I was going to move to Connecticut to live with an aunt uncle who I always viewed as more of a mom and dad than mom, mom and dad. Mm -hmm. So I, I moved there and with the best of intentions, obviously. Mm -hmm. I was doing well for probably about three weeks. I was going to meetings. I was doing things that I was told I should do. What I didn't address was my codependency mm -hmm. or that word, however you want to use that word. Um, I quickly found a relationship in the rooms of NA with a gal who was a heroin addict and a crack addict. And I spent the next three and a half months of my life smoking crack. So the first time I had gone to rehab, I, I dabbled in that as a teenager from that time where I left college, lived with my mom. It was probably like a four month stint there. Um, but now I left rehab and I was smoking crack every day. And mm. that's when my life really went downhill. I lost everything I've ever had, um, ran up tons of credit cards, lost all my money, started doing things that I was, I never thought I would do for drugs, um, and it, it humbled me and mm. it got me back into rehab in February of 2015. So, okay. And where was that rehab? Back in Utah. Oh, same place. Same place. Same place. Okay. Yeah. What was, was there anything different that time? In the rehab process? For you. Well, I mean, I'm assuming basically everything and the, and the counselors are basically the same, but were yeah. you different the second time you went in than the first time? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, I, I didn't, the first time I didn't, I have a very difficult time being told what to do, right? Like sure. 
I have to be able to see it myself. And it doesn't matter who says it to me. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not going to hear you. Even if I trust you and you're my best friend, Mm -hmm. like, I'm not going to hear what you have to say unless I physically, like, believe it myself. Or you put something on paper that shows me, like, yeah, by doing A plus B, you're going to get C. Like, that's, I have to be able to see what it is. It may have something to do with uh, Right, (laughs) right, exactly. So, Knowing the first time I went to rehab what I didn't do, mm-hmm. I walked in there the second time with the attitude of like, okay, this is it. And I laid all my secrets on the table and I was like, I use women to make myself feel better, right? Like I just, I, I put all the tendencies that I did out on the table and I knew what I needed to address. First and foremost, I need to address the sick, twisted relationship that I have with abandonment by my mom and how I use women in my relationship. Like first and foremost, mm-hmm. I understood at that time that drinking, cause I had a very difficult time believing like I could never drink again. Mm-hmm. So I just set that aside. I was like, you know what, let's put that aside. Let's focus on what's really going on with me sure. and, and the abandonment, the, the, perfectionist from my that complex from my father self-worth the negative things I say to myself in my head on a daily basis um, not having motivation to really do anything just really started to address those and what I did differently was I actually listened to what people said Mm -hmm. and as dumb as some of the things sounded to me turned out to be extremely valuable in the long run and I'm so glad that I opened my mind up and just started to attempt it tempting to do some of those things like one particular thing is like positive affirmations I was like this is really dumb like you you want (laughs) me to write down 50 things I like about myself and say that in a mirror in the morning and at night like how is that going to help anything Mm -hmm. it's one of the things that I still do today five years almost five years sober (laughs) because it's like when I don't it's it's crazy you look back at it now so I'm if, if I you know lucky enough to stay sober in February I'll have five years And it's funny how as soon as you stop doing some of the little things in your recovery, Mm -hmm. like saying, I love you, Brian, like you're good enough. As soon as I stop saying some of those things, how quickly my mind starts saying, hey, you're you're a piece of crap. Mm -hmm. Like you're not good enough. Like you're going to fail at this relationship. Mm -hmm. And all these tendencies come back. It's Mm -hmm. just like it's amazing to me how Mm -hmm. how quickly great work can be undone. Right. Um, but going back to that time, what was different is I actually applied myself, okay. right? I applied it my, myself for one of the first times. You heard about my failed college experiences, right? right, right? right. You heard about failing at sports sometimes. It's because I don't apply myself, and I never mm-hmm. have. Mm-hmm. And wh- for me, when things got hard, I just quit or mm-hmm. I'd run. And, okay. and this time in rehab, I actually gave it a chance. Okay. What this time, um, uh, when it started getting tough, instead of it being an omen or a sign that you should give yeah. up, uh, or turn the other way or bolt or whatever, what, what do you think was different? What, what, what was fundamentally do you think was different or maybe, or what, what's, what, yeah, what was different? Because that was, that in itself was a beginning yeah of a foundational thing of a new, a new uh, skill that you were developing. Yeah. So I have this Panda at home. It's, um, there's a place out in Utah. It's called color of me mind. So what you do is you go and, and you paint ceramics, right? And art's never been a thing that I was good at or enjoyed. And in rehab that second time, it was one of the things that 
it was one of the first recreational things that we did. It, my options that day was go do color me mine and paint a ceramic or go like go-karting. And like, obviously I wanted to go go-karting, but I went and did this color me mine thing. And I sat there for the first like 15 minutes and just like, I didn't enjoy it. I'm like, I'm not doing this, this is dumb. But I eventually did it and I made this panda and on the back of it, you know, people are putting positive messages and like sobriety dates and all this stuff. And for me, I put a different date. I put my relapse date. So 12-14 of, of 2014, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. And I put that on the back of that panda, and I still have this panda. And the reason I did that is because that was a day I brought crack into my uncle and, and my aunt's home. You know, the, t- the two people in my life who have always supported me through everything, they've always been there for me, um, gave me a place to live after rehab, took a chance on me, and just love is very powerful right Mm -hmm. like especially for me like Mm -hmm. love is everything to me and i hurt those people Mm. and and that to me was more powerful than anything i could ever did myself right so i have that panda still and i have it on my desk at home and i see that thing every day because it's a daily reminder that like i don't ever want to forget what i did to them like Mm -hmm. that wasn't okay Mm-hmm. And and so much of our life is like we want to put blame on everyone else. Like a lot of the story so far, I'm saying like what happened to me. With the understanding, it's more to put the story in place, right? Mm-hmm. Like I understand now, like that. That's it's a part of my story, but it's still me. Like my actions are the reason I'm an alcoholic and the reason I smoke crack, and mm-hmm. and like those are my actions. Yeah. And that was a specific action that changed my life forever because if I didn't have that moment if I didn't go out of rehab as an alcoholic and start smoking crack I might still be drinking today Mm -hmm. I don't know if I would have ever realized that alcohol was bringing my life down to the point where I wanted to kill myself and that wasn't even enough to open my eyes Mm -hmm. so just understanding that the people who who I knew care about me a lot I I really affected Mm -hmm. and there must have been with your aunt and uncle from Connecticut, yeah. there was an unconditional belief in you, unconditional love and regard for you, yeah. and and that was not your familiar, yeah. right? And and then when you f- when you finally decided to figure out, okay, what am I going to do with this panda, right? Yeah. That you 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 that panda represents the bottom, yeah. right? That and 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 so. It, there's a there's a humility that comes with that, and yeah. then but in, but also in this case, that what I'm hearing you say, Brian, is it was the beginning of saying, I may not be able to fight for me yet, but I I will fight because exactly. someone else believed in me. Exactly, exactly, and and with that as well, it's just looking at that thing and for the first time being like, you know what, I did it, and it's not that great, but I did it, mm-hmm. and I accomplished it, and mm-hmm. I tried, and mm-hmm. it was actually enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And just cha- that, I remember that day so vividly mm-hmm. because it's like, I know that's when my brain started to change a little bit, and mm-hmm. I was able to change my perspective. No longer did I need to be the best at everything I did. Like, I could just do things, and that was good enough. Yeah. Yeah. So... So it's interesting, you know, we, we, sometimes we talk about this idea that we're either chasing after a dragon, you know, of being good enough or we're being chased by, you know, by one. And, and, and then coming to a point where that is that 
maybe what I need to do now is change my perspective and maybe I just need to step into the ring. Maybe I don't need to be the best. I just need to step into the ring and, and participate and still give 100%. Yeah. But doesn't necessarily mean that the outcome has to be a certain way or it's off or not. Yeah. Because, you know, we, we talk a lot of times about, you know, sports similar to art is an opportunity. It, it reflects life, right? Yeah. And in a, in a finite game, there's only one winner. Right. I mean, that's how it's set up, you know. But that doesn't necessarily mean the person who gets second is a loser just because they lost doesn't necessarily make them a loser. I mean, right now it's football season, and, yeah. you know, we have – there's 30 teams, professional teams. you got 30 quarterbacks. The worst quarterback doesn't suck. <laughs> Yeah. He's still better than, yeah. <laughs> he, he's still better than you know ninety nine point five percent of the population yeah. as far as playing that particular activity. Um, yeah, it's it's hard to even imagine, but that's probably not how that particular twenty something year old feels. Right. If he's not, if he's ranked number twenty nine or thirty versus number one or number two. Yeah, and that time of your life, it's such a tricky time too because it's like. You're getting all this advice and and all these expectations on what you should do, and when you're in, when you're a teenager growing up who doesn't have the best support system around them, right? Just just in that regard, you don't know who you are, mm-hmm. and you, even if you have a great support system, you might not know who you are. But it's yeah. like I'm getting you feel like you're getting forced or, or shepherded down this path that that's not what I want to do because I don't know who I want to do, nor do I even know what I want. Yeah. So that was, it was just another aspect of, of the life that where it's like the best thing that could have happened to me is exactly what happened to me yeah. and yeah. just let me, my life unfold. Yeah. Right. And fortunately enough for me, I I'm still here. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, and I'm glad you shared about that, uh, that opportunity that happened, you know, so a lot of times people don't today understand, you know, wh- what is when someone goes away to, for treatment, goes away for residential, um, wh- what, why did they have to go away? Why can't they just do it an outpatient basis? And, and I think you just said, you know, sometimes we have to be introduced to doing something different than what we've been previously exposed to. And we have to take that on. We have to try it. We have to experiment with it. We have to expose ourselves to it. Um, so then you get out of rehab the second time. Mm-hmm. What was different when you got out? I, I, I was enjoying life for the first time. Okay. Right? Like, I, I actually had a goal to still not necessarily stay sober, mm-hmm. but my goal was to, I wanted to actually be a good person. I was okay. so tired of pretending to be all these things or trying to get you to like me or her to like me or mm-hmm. whatever it was or get my parents to approve of me or, or accept me or I just started doing things on my own. Mm. So I knew at that time I was still technically employed as a flight attendant, but I knew that wasn't, I couldn't do that. I needed structure. So after maybe 60 days of residential, I got accepted into the sober living IOP. Okay. So I stayed in Utah. I was like, you know what, Utah, this like, all right, like, <laughs> I guess this is where I'll be. Um, and I just started doing everything I was told to do. And I surrounded myself with some good people. Um, I got a job, just, I was working for an electrical distribution company, and that's what I was doing for work, and um, it was great, and then after work, I was, I was going to meetings, you know, I was going 
to a sober gym where I really connected with there with individuals very like-minded. Um, I was playing sober sports on Friday nights. Um, I was attending IOP. I was doing individual therapy. I was staying on the medication that I was told I should probably be on. Um, I surrounded myself with good people mm-hmm. and I quickly identified if, if those people who I knew weren't trying to do the same thing, they went through rehab, but I knew they weren't trying to stay on the same path as me. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I didn't hang out with people that I was in sober living with. Mm-hmm. I hung out with people in the rooms and, mm-hmm. and had years. Um, I was going to, I was going to church. I was going to AA. I was going to smart recovery. I was going to refuge recovery. I was going to codependence anonymous. Like I was doing everything. I was reading books for the first time in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going on hikes every weekend. I was just, I was doing so much. I was doing things mm-hmm. like the mm-hmm. actions were what made the difference for me this sure, time. Sure. And you're four and a half plus of sobriety at this point. And and it sounds like you're in a relationship. Yeah. And you guys have kids together? So we I have we have two boys. Okay. Um I have a, he's almost four. Okay. Stepson. Okay. And then I actually just rewinding a little bit. When I was in rehab, I remember one of the first things that I got asked was, Hey, what do you want out of life? Right? Like what why are you getting sober? And mm. my response then was I want a family. Mm. Like that's what I want. And I want my family. Like okay. I want a healthy family. Um fast forward, my son was born on my four year sobriety date oh, this right. past year. Okay. Congratulations. Yeah. So February seventh, twenty nineteen, Easton was Easton Andrew was born um on my four year sobriety date. Okay. And that to me is just uh he came early. Okay. But like as soon as we found out we were having a baby. I was like, and the due date, I just had this feeling. I was like, I don't know. That'd be really crazy if he was born on my due date. And to me, that just, you want to talk about like a God moment or, or just how cool is that? Sure. Right. To like put the amount of work in that I have put in to make my life what I want it to be. And to have that moment was, um, I shed a lot of emotion. Sure. And I still do. Sure. Right. And sure. that's a powerful experience. Yeah. So yeah, two boys. Nice. Uh, what, what's your, your, what's your oldest one's name? Eli. Eli and yeah. Easton. In Easton. Okay. Yeah. And Eli's four, you said? He'll be four November 26th. Okay. And then, and then Easton will be a year this coming. Yeah. Forward. He's actually eight months today. Okay. All right. And um, yeah, it is, it is, a, it is amazing how, um, when we can get out of the way, right. Of our thinking, um, how things can um, be revealed to us yeah. um, that it may not be what we, you know, what we previous thought. Yeah. You know, and maybe, you know, maybe someone would say, oh, that's a coincidence or whatever. That's okay. You know, um, symbol symbols, right? They are what we make them to be, and sometimes that can be pretty powerful. There's a lot of coincidences that I have seen over the years of sobriety to people who have started doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. A lot of coincidences. Mm-hmm. You hear the old expression, like just be here until the wait until the miracle happens. Mm-hmm. Right. You hear that a lot. Yeah. It's one of these things yeah. like call it a coincidence, but they happen to people all the time yeah. that are, that take the actions to change themselves. Yeah. 
Well, one of the things I know you talked about earlier, and I think, and I can relate to this, is is the the benefit of as much as you enjoy being around people, you also like being outside. Yeah. And um, and I know for me, uh, being outside is an opportunity for me to um, get out of my thinking mm-hmm. and be able to observe uh, and experience things that I can't explain. Right. Um, so, so yeah, tell us a little bit about what, what, how you benefit from being out, uh, out in nature, either just hiking or rock climbing or just experiencing nature. Yeah. Nature for me is, it's like one of the sounding boards to my recovery, right? Like being outside. One of the first things I have to do every day is literally get up and get out of my house. Mm -hmm. And if I don't do that, my day's pretty much determined if i'm at home and i sit in bed like when you're at home you isolate when you're when you isolate you get in your head when you get in your head bad thoughts start happening right and then all of a sudden it's four o'clock in the afternoon you haven't done anything Mm -hmm. and that's what happens to me Mm -hmm. so a big thing for me is when i wake up i have to be outside Mm -hmm. and obviously like i'd love to spend every moment in nature but i can't do that so when i have an opportunity it's like take my kids for a walk go outside like Prior to having family, it was I was in the mountains all the time, mm-hmm. right? Like just getting out and hiking. When I lived in Utah, I moved to Rockford a year and a half ago, so not really any mountains here, but still can experience nature. This mm-hmm. time of the year, the leaves are changing. Mm-hmm. Get out because what it reminds me is like there's things that are bigger than me out here, mm-hmm. right? And and it it reminds me to be present, and it just clears my head and it gives me a peace of mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, last night it was uh, it it just ha- it just happened to be one of those nights. It was uh, a cool October night, and um, the sun was starting to go down. And there was a sun a sunset happening, and the sky just was like as I was watching it turn from this pink to this you know a little bit deeper red to orange to bluish gray purple. I mean, it was like amazing. And it was all in a matter of some minutes, and yeah. um, but it was just a cool, just a, a cool uh, experience, just to be able to capture that. Yeah. yeah. So, so you're in a relationship now, and yeah. you're you're a father. Yeah. And and so one of the things that, uh, and I think it's important for people to recognize, but I want to want to hear some of the things that you do to stay grounded and continue to grow. Yeah. is that we have some old wounds that that they it's not that they ever necessarily go away it's that what we we do things differently with them right yeah. and and you mentioned the word codependency yeah. or this idea of enmeshment or my, get my identity wrapped up or i feel good because yeah. i'm okay because yeah. you think i'm okay type of thing right and how how have you noticed with that because that's one of those things right that's a, that's one of those core wounds and the alcohol or the crack or whatever just came in to um self-medicate that exactly you know and and not to say that that the alcohol or the crack if there is such a thing as socially using crack um can ever you know be part of the diet yeah. it, it's not saying that but but the core of uh, of, uh, of unrest, of of getting into that negative, critical thinking, negative thinking, not critical thinking, but negative thinking, is that enmeshment with a significant other. Right. Um, what what things do you do today? Um, what things have you learned to do today 
differently than in the past so that you can stay clean about that? I mean, the fir- first and foremost, the one thing I don't understand is when you're in a relationship, I need to love me and you need to love you mm. so we can love each other. Mm-hmm. Like that is the first first thing I learned about a relationship. I, I knew when I got sober, I didn't get in a relationship for to be honest, this is my first real like relationship in recovery. Mm-hmm. Dated another girl for a couple of weeks, but it's just like I I mainly focused on me, mm-hmm. right? And I still do that. I'm I'm an individual that requires a lot of work to stay in a good headspace, mm-hmm. and and some of those daily reprieves that we do are. You wake up in the morning, you get out of your house, you go to the gym, you work out, you, you get your day feeling good, you get those endorphins running, right? You get on your medication if you need medication, you stay on that. Mm-hmm. Positive affirmations, again, something I need to do every single day. Gratitude is a huge one. I have to stay in, in a, a state of gratitude. My, and it needs to be something different every day, mm-hmm. right? It, service work, mm-hmm. surrounding yourself with a healthy community. Those are all things that I do to make myself feel good. Mm-hmm. So that way, why I'm in this relationship with an individual who is an absolute saint. And if she ever listens to this, which I hope she does, like <laughs> you hold our house together because she is she's an amazing person. She, mm-hmm. she cares for my children. She loves me when I'm not having good days. Mm-hmm. Like she loves me unconditionally, which is a different experience. Mm-hmm. Right. Because like I still have days. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, not every day is a great day. Mm-hmm. But just being able to communicate how you feel mm-hmm. with somebody and, and what's really going on in your head and not trying to protect them or save them, which are huge codependent qualities, right? Like I don't have to save her. Mm-hmm. I don't have to – my self-worth doesn't depend on if she loves me or not, mm-hmm. right? Like those, those are a lot of those codependent issues that I had to learn and, and weirdly unwrap because it all somehow related back – to that abandonment piece, yeah. right? Like, because I need, well, then as a child, and even still a little today, like, I need my mother's love. Mm-hmm. Like, I deserve that love, and I never really got that in the form that I need it, mm-hmm. right? And so those always got tied up into my relationships. Mm-hmm. So just being able to work on myself, first and foremost, and continually make myself a healthier person every single day allows me to have a healthy relationship. Yeah. Um, jealousy you know like putting understanding that jealousy is just it's just a feeling right like you can feel jealous and you don't have to act on that i don't have to have a narcissistic quality where i have to comment on every every time i think a guy's looking at you or i feel insecure Mm -hmm. like just emotional regulation right in a sense right well i think one of the things and you know that when and I said, I think you said it perfectly. And that's, and that's one of the things that I appreciate, you know, I'm hearing you express and you haven't even used the words, but I've heard you express is there's a level of humility, right? And, and it comes from not only being at, you know, having a bottom, but recognizing that and then being willing to listen to others and do it differently and then evolve and outgrow that, right. And, and make it your, you know, your own way. But when we are, when we struggle with some of the issues that you struggle with, you know, that you, you use the word abandonment issues from, from mom and she, she may have loved you the way she could love you, right. but it wasn't how you as a little boy needed to be loved. Right. How that can manifest in our relationships today is that we may not always trust what's happening. 
right? You, you know, we, we, we wrestle with that, that idea of trusting and being vulnerable. The more that I'm in, the more vulnerable am I, I'm in. And do I trust that this is going to be different this time? And, and so that's where those insecurities come up. That's where that jealousy comes up. And that's where those things, what, what things, and again, that's working on you because, uh, it, it, does, it has nothing to do with anybody else really. Now there are people that are toxic and they're, you know, that are maliciously doing some things or even doing things out of ignorance. But, but many times, you know, there'll be things that we're, we're reacting to because it's old, old wounds. Yeah. And so when you're in that vulnerable state, when you feel like you're, well, I'm, I'm way in now, <laughs> um, and you know you're recognizing that you're wrestling with trusting, mm-hmm. what, what things do you do with that? For, for trust, I mean, that's, for me, it's, it's meditation. Okay. Right? Like, whether that's in the form of getting in my car and listening to music belting out a song, okay. you know, just sitting and listening to an actual meditation, whether it be guided or just listening to some ocean breeze, right? Like um, getting myself back to center, yeah. right? Because yeah. that's all. Tra- trust, to me, correlates directly with faith. Mm-hmm. And without, and faith in the terms of believing that it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's I got to center myself mm-hmm. because I also know that the thoughts that are going on in my head that are telling me, like, whatever, she's going to leave you or you're not good, whatever, those aren't real thoughts. Mm-hmm. They're rational thoughts. So right. getting myself to back to center mm-hmm. is a big part of that. And, and that doesn't come naturally for me. Like, yeah. that's something I've had to practice yeah. for many, many years. Yeah. Well, and I think the other other part of it, you know, like we talk about this idea of that love to love and to accept and receive love is a choice. Yeah. Right. To love is a choice. To receive love is a choice. And in that to come to that place that I'm going to be OK, yeah. even if it doesn't work out the way that I think it should. Yeah. Because there's still more to be going on now i don't want that to happen but i know that i'm going to be okay and not that that's some kind of omen right yeah. i was watching a movie the other night um with my son and it in they were on a plane and the plane was having turbulence and the one guy started talking about you know what, what not to do if the plane goes down and everybody superstitiously on the, on the plane started yelling at him as if it was if the plane goes down it was his fault because he was saying something right i don't necessarily believe that this individual who's in the in in the in the passenger part of the airplane has anything to do with why a plane does or doesn't go down right that doesn't really make sense to me um but the other character the this movie was called the gray with liam uh liam liam nelson i think it was Uh, i think that's his name Yeah, yeah yeah and um but there was a confidence that he had that even if the plane did go down, not that that they would suck, <laughs> but he was going to be okay. Yeah. And 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 there's an element to that that when we can evolve to that, that we're going to be okay. Um, it may not be what we want, but we'll be okay. Um, we're going to work at it to be okay. Um, that's that grounding 
I know for me, when you were saying that's what it reminded me of, that's that when I can ground myself and know that I can get into that God space, that I can do that spot, yeah. um, it'll be okay. Yeah. It will be. Yeah. You might get chased by wolves afterwards, but, you know, yeah, yeah, it'll that, be okay. That did happen a couple <laughs> times in there, and he was the only one that didn't die. Right. But, <laughs> but um, and so, but, uh, it, and, it, and I think that's a great, ex- it's not necessarily going to be easy, um, but it's going to be okay. Yeah. It's going to be okay. So um, now you have an opportunity to give back. Yeah. And so how, uh, I mean, it's been four and a half years. Um, you've, you've taken this on differently than you did before. Yeah. Um, it wasn't just to save a relationship. It was more about finding yourself yeah. and, and, and finding out who, who Brian is. Yeah. Um, how do you, how, I know in a big part of, of the 12 steps, big part of recovery is not only the humility and the spirituality, but it's also about giving back. How do you, how do you give back now? Yeah. Giving back for me today looks a little differently than it did the first, you know, couple years when it was just me as an individual. Um, then it was once a month we go feed the homeless, Mm -hmm. right? It's working on coat drives. Um, Something I did when I lived in Utah was I actually organized a couple different sports leagues, so sober soccer leagues, sober basketball league, to get individuals to participate in that. Um, Really, I would organize just, hey, we're going to go cliff diving today, or Mm -hmm. hey, just whatever it was. Um, That's that's what my service used to look like, just Mm -hmm. getting people together and having fun and sobriety, as well as the humbling, like, go support those in need, right? And um, which every day that's how you live your life like if you see somebody who needs help like you help them to the best of your ability or at least give them the resources to get help um today it's i i I just started getting involved with with nami Mm. um i i want to be i need to start picking up my service work so i'm not doing as much service as i'd like to be doing um but i also i i work with individuals every day who they call and you know, I'm one of the first person they speak to. So that's, that's a big part to me, a little bit service wise, but I would like to get back and do, you know, providing resources for the homeless and maybe I I need to up my service work, but working with other individuals is the big part. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, you have three individuals that live in your household now. Yeah. So that's that that's going to be sometimes the hard, hardest service work about being humbly present for them, right? Yeah. Um, in but but part of a program is just being open to what other opportunities come up. I know you you you're friends with a friend of ours. You know, we have yeah. a mutual friend, Xavier, yeah. Yeah. and uh, she's involved with NAMI, and she's uh, I've known her now for a handful of years, and and she does a lot of good work within the community and. Yeah. This, uh, you know, by the time this airs, the mental health awareness week will already pass. But we'll, um, but the um, this whole month of October is going to be mental health awareness month, um, and there's a lot of different activities going on um, here in Rockford. Well, let me ask as we get ready to wrap up, if there was something that you wanted uh, someone who is either struggling with uh, maybe some. Uh, family issues of abandonment or rejection, you know, regarding that piece that then later manifests in codependency, or if it's addiction work, or maybe struggling with depression, what would be something that you would want to share with uh, someone who may be listening? As hard as it is to reach out, like reach out, like that's the first step is like, you're not alone. We all suffer. I mean, you show me 
if any of these listeners can come to me and say, you don't have one problem, one problem in your life, like everybody has problems and it's just finding a common community of people to love you until you can love yourself. You know, like that is, that's the biggest thing is like, just allow people to help you because mm-hmm. help is there. Mm-hmm. And it's just taking that courage and, and having that bravery to just say, you know what, like maybe I need a change. Yeah. It's, it's the biggest thing, but I, I assure you there are people who love you, right? Mm-hmm. There, there are people who care and there are people who love you. I'm one of those people. I, if I don't even know you, I will still lend my hand. Like mm-hmm. that is what we do. Like it's, it's, I feel like basic human instinct is help other people. Mm-hmm. So you're not alone. Like, that's my message. You're definitely not alone. Well, you, you know, it's interesting when you said that about it's what we do. And and I think for many of us, it's what we do because that's what was done for us. Exactly. And, and, it's, and it's a responsibility to be able to pay that forward, to be available to other individuals. But uh, it takes courage to be vulnerable. It takes courage uh, to, to be able to say that I'm... Um, I'm weak right now. Um, I don't have answers, um, but it's a courageous thing, and uh, to humbly ask for um, to ask for help. Yeah, and, and the other part of that too is if your inner circle of people isn't doing it for you, find a different circle. Yeah, yeah. No, I I agree. Brian, thank you very much for being on the show. I uh, I appreciate your vulnerability and uh, and your humility of, of being here and, and the journey that you've been on, but um, how your willingness uh, to be able to be there for other individuals, but uh, how you're learning um, through recovery, how to uh, be that uh, that man for your for your woman of choice yeah. and um, be a father to those two young boys. Yeah, so absolutely. So thank you. Um, Thank you for being with us today. Um, again, just listening to Brian's uh, story of, of how he's gone through and learned how some old stuff that happened, or in this case probably didn't happen t- for him when he was growing up, that, that, that carried and haunted him until he addressed those and faced those dragons. And um, now he has some tools and um, has some ways of dealing with that. Um, as we always talk about this idea that... Um, there are um, there's hope and there there's light and um, how can you be the light in someone else's darkness? Uh, thank you very much uh, for being with us this week and I look forward to meeting with you next week. <laughs>